This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Todd Berry Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Matt Kirshen. Hey. He's a comic from the United Kingdom. I wasn't sure whether I was meant to say hello there or just You can say there's no rules. There's no rules. When you have a cheap microphone set up on a Comedy Central towel... Is this a Comedy Central towel? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's a Comedy Central towel. Um, wow, they've never given me a towel. Which I think is sound absorption. I don't know. I don't know anything about sound. But I th- you're actually the first guest with the new improved, hopefully improved sound. Thank you. I feel honored. Yeah, might as well have some with a little British accent going really feel the full effect it's uh funny it we're trained funny into this we're trained shakespearean voice you do you have any do you have you ever acted in shakespearean i um in a school play uh when i was 13 i played second servant to macbeth really it's so a very important role that is, is that there's a uh, two whole lines hey there are no small uh actors just small no there are no small parts just small actors did you ever hear that exp- I don't know, but I am I'm quite, a, I'm quite a small person, so I don't know if that... You should have had that one ready for all the people who are saying you had such a puny part in them. Um... No one was actually saying that until you just now. No, I feel terrible. <laughs> Did I meet you in London? I don't know where we first met. I think it might have been Edinburgh. Ed- oh, I forgot about Edinburgh. That might have been where we first... Like I... 2003, 2004? Yeah, something like that. Do you do that festival every year? I've missed a couple, but I've done pretty much every year since since I started doing stand-up. Did you do it last year? Last year, I just did set list. I didn't do my own show. Oh, set list. We'll talk about that later. Let's talk about it now. You brought it up. Why not? Yeah. It's my favorite show in the world to do. I love it. Did you create that show? No, 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 no. I'm, I just help out with it sometimes and uh, do it as much as I can. It was Troy Conrad created it. Do you want to explain it to the and, people? Uh, yeah, what it is, it's improvised stand-up. So the comics come on stage... And projected on the screen behind them is supposedly their set list. That's the conceit. Right. So the conceit is that it's a set list they wrote themselves, but both they and the audience know that it's, in fact, written by the producers. And it's a string of fairly random words and phrases. Yeah, so, I've done the show you've done a it few s- times. Yeah. I did it in Edinburgh. I did it in London. Yep. I've done it in... You did it in Austin, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I did it in Austin. And then I went back to London because they turned it into a TV show. Yes, for the TV. But it's a really... Uh, Normally, I don't do a lot of, like, theme type shows where someone says, I have this thing where you don't perform the way you perform. Yeah, you're doing your stand-up, but someone's going to be yeah, yeah. shooting yeah, with a Nerf it's, gun. It's, and uh, We're talking all about the color red. So it's going to be an hour of comedians <laughs> talking about the color red. So. Oh, that's the way, When they do those stand-up specials where they just take... They've just bought a whole lot of footage of other comedians and then they just package them together, but themed. Uh, so that, do they still do that? They, I know they used I've to seen do that. It, I think I saw it on Canadian TV recently. Yeah, they, Comedy Central used to do that. I forgot the show it was, but they used to, yeah. They would it's be like just the word, because then it's just, seven it shows you how unoriginal comics are. It's just, yeah. here's 20 variants on the yeah. same joke from potentially a, original comedians. Yeah, if they're doing a chunk of, like, dog jokes and you're sixth, you're yeah. six out of seven. Here's another take on like, marriage. Oh, yeah, I, I'm kind of not, I don't want to hear about dogs anymore. Um, but this is a, this is a theme show that I like, because it just, 
it makes you create new material. Right, and that, what are, do you remember some of the categories? I can't remember some of the categories. Uh, only a few stand out that I've got. I remember getting um, Suicidal Optimist. Suicidal Optimist, that's that was, not bad. That was a fun one. Uh, remember someone else just got a string of the letter A. It's just like, ah. That's a mean one. I would, that's a, I, that would be a mean one. Yeah, they, every so often they chuck a curveball in there. They'll do like an acronym or a, or a symbol or something like that. But mostly it's... It's a lot like Mad Libs a lot of the time. It's just a couple of seemingly disconnected phrases or or why I hurt children. It'll be something, it'll be a phrase or a Yeah, question. it's kind of a fun, it's a nerve-wracking show to do because even if you fancy, I fancy myself pretty good off the cuff, yep. but kind of on my terms, not someone giving me, you know. Right, but the thing is you make it on your terms, which I've seen you do the show several times, and you, everyone who has a strong comedic persona makes it on their terms. Yeah, and the audience sort of enjoys the struggle. Yeah. Not necessarily in a mean way. Like, they, no. oh, this guy, I see what he's up against. They know it's... They and know everyone's it's, up against it. Yeah, and normally when a topic comes up, particularly if it's a weird one, there'll be a chuckle initially from the audience, like, this is funny, and how the hell is he going to deal with it? Yeah, sometimes the uh, the topics seem almost... Let's see, they almost as if they're going, let's see how annoying we can make this topic like yeah you know, hitler's area rug okay <laughs> something like that i'm just was staring at my rug when i came up with that one right and I which don't know does what, have a nazi you, crest on it and then if you throw hitler in it <laughs> you have yourself a moderately good laugh did you so that's going to be a tv show which i did yeah and I, the way if i remember we did two 15 minute sets and they're going to cut it down to five minutes yes it was something um because they had no there was no cheating like they often do in tv shows in that there was no prep none of the comics knew what was coming up mm. so the one way they sort of built a bit of a safety net in there so they got good footage was to give everyone two sets yeah because when i filmed it i was like i knew that they were going to just cut it down to five minutes so if i came to a topic and i just didn't have anything for it i would try for about 30 seconds yeah and i go all right they won't use this one like right. but some guys went up there and they were just like they just kept reaching yeah, it just kept, well, I'm going to find the funny in this yeah, at some point. Like, I'm like, hello, I'm done with this one. Hello, I'm done with this one. We'll move it along. Some, yes. There will be five minutes of okay stuff out of this. Yeah, but it's a fun show, and you're bringing it to New York. Um, yeah, I won't be there for that one, but they're doing it at the uh, Stan Comedy Club next yeah. week. You're, you're doing that one as well, right? Yeah, and you've, you've done it in L.A., and is it a thing? It, and you did TV tapings in, in L.A. and San Francisco, right? Didn't Robin Williams do it? Robin Williams did it. Mort Sol did it. Really? Which was weird. Did he enjoy it? I think so, yeah. Mort, Mort Sahl was interesting because he'd, he'd turn around, he'd see the new topic, he'd say one thing off the back of it that was genuinely spontaneous and wonderful, and then he went back into his act. <laughs> like oh, it was just, yeah. That's, that's certainly tempting. Kind and it was of, pretty obvious when he was doing it? Yeah, because he was sort of talking about Nixon. Nixon <laughs> like, and there were no topics about Nixon. This reminds me of Nixon. It was a... Uh, when you said chocolate-covered Cheetos, it made, me think of, <laughs> it made me think of Nixon and this bit I wrote. Back in the 60s. In the right? 60s. Um, but um, it was great to watch him work. And it, he was... He was still sharp, and he did do some properly interesting things. But then also... But also, he's quite an old guy being faced with a completely different thing. Yeah, he probably hasn't done a lot of shows at the UCB Theatre. No, I mean, yeah. He, Any of them. Even the East Village. He's a member of a Harold group, obviously. <laughs> he's, he's I know he took a level two class. <laughs> that just uh, 
eight people just shut this eight, eight people 800 people just shut this podcast off because they're like we don't even know what you're talking about you're speaking in code so you live in London how often do you live in London no I'm mostly how in LA you? now I'm pretty much oh you're in LA babe wow. yeah I'm pretty much exclusively in LA now now when you move from is that considered are you considered when you leave London as a London comic for LA is that considered hey good on you Good luck out there. Yeah. Or you were like, oh, you know, or you consider no, self-hating? No, I think most people were pretty positive about it. But I moved in, I moved in fits and starts anyway. I didn't, I never did the big, I'm moving to Hollywood kind of thing. I just, I gradually spent more and more time over there until I wasn't really in London anymore. Did you, did you have a party for yourself? In New York, when someone moves to LA, they have a party. No, no, I didn't do that. I think. That doesn't seem like a, a, a British type thing to do. They did sometimes but again because I just did it in like me moving to a me in LA was like it was like a one night stand that slowly developed into a relationship does that okay. happen yeah it's happened to me before once very like shouldn't have done and then at other times in a good way but it was like it was just I, I gradually like I went over there to do last comic standing originally that was what first got me there was that your first trip to LA that wasn't my first time ever in LA but that was my first proper trip to do stand up so you you Last Comic Standing, they saw you in London. Yeah. Did my, you have to stand in the big line, or did they? There wasn't really a big line. Like, in London, there wasn't... No one really knew much about the show. It was... Everyone was quite suspicious. Oh, if they do it again, and someone hears this, there are going to be comedians who fly to London. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they've lived in London, just Been for that shorter line. Wearing it. Yeah, I live in London. I'm a London comic. Yeah, because... Yeah, I'm a London comic. <laughs> um, my year was the first year where they went international, so they... No one, and it wasn't even broadcast in the UK until that season. So no one really, everyone was a little bit wary of the show. So people did show up, but I didn't wait in line for any amount of time. You sort of got grandfathered in? Yeah. I'm not saying the show was slightly rigged or anything, but they let you in without, they let you skip a line. Well, there wasn't a line to skip. They just, okay. <laughs> like, I just showed up and there was just, come on in. Um, and you, so you won over there. How many rounds did you? That was, it the London audition was just like, say, the Miami audition or the or the um, uh, San Francisco audition. It was just so same deal. They did the daytime thing, then they did the show in the evening, and then so you won during few, the day, then you they, and then they, I won in the evening, and then they were like, "You're coming for the semifinals." So you, you won, came in first in the London version of it. No, I, I was just one of four people that so had they flew it. So four people to. over. Yeah, and that was your first trip to LA, or no? No, I'd been one. I'd been once before in uh, 2003. Oh, you answered that question. Yeah, right. when my sister was um. My sister went to university for a year in San Diego, so went over as a family to visit her. Okay. And I just started doing stand-up, so I did, like, two shows. Were you... How far did you get in the U.S. version? So you flew over here, then how... Yeah, and then I got through to the final ten. Oh, you were in the final ten? Yeah, in uh, in season five, and then I... I won one of the head-to-heads, and then I got knocked out of the next one. So did you win the, the tour, or is that, like, for the final... I missed out on the tour by one show. Oh, which is kind of God. annoying because that's that's only like four hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, when that... people sort of talk about the big grand prize, like the actual prize itself is nice, but you get almost as much money if you just make the final five and you get to do the, you get to do twenty five theatre shows. Does that credit still resonate? Does that help you get work? Yeah, I've stopped. Like I've stopped quoting it as the credit for when I'm being introduced now. I go for the late night ones that I've done in London. Now I've noticed this and I've been told. When they introduce comics, like here, if you go to the Comedy Cellar or any comedy club, they'll go, our next comic's been on Letterman and yeah. Tonight Show or whatever. They don't do and that And you can see 10 guys in a row doing that, and you're kind of like, wow, it's nice that you all made it on the Letterman yeah. Show. They absolutely, it's, 
is it's actively discouraging the UK. The worst thing, um, the worst thing an American visiting the UK could do is ask for credits in the introduction. Yeah, I, I, I guess I was warned when I went over there. Yeah, because sometimes they're like, you know, if you want credits, and then I go. No, I feel like I'm gonna not have you do credits. Yeah, if it, if like say if the MC is a friend of yours and they want to give like a personal recommendation, like this guy I've, I've seen him, I've seen him before. I like I first got to know him on this show and I think he's great. You're gonna enjoy him. That's fine. But the kind of you, this guy's just the reeling off your bio. British audiences, British audiences really dislike success. Like the British mentality is to dislike success. To is it. that true, though? Yeah, or, or at is least, that what you're supposed to pretend? Or at least, hang on, I should rephrase that because they like people. They love people that they recognise. They like anyone does. They love seeing a famous person go on stage, but someone that they haven't heard of, but are told that they should have heard of them. Oh, I see. They really resent. So that. So they want to discover them. Yeah, and so they, they really, want to go. I discovered the Spice Girls, and they hate exactly. Don't we all? But uh, they they hate the idea of arrogance. They hate the. If the British MC is being a real dick, like it's happened before where an American, a visiting American has been a bit arrogant, a bit cocky in the dressing room, mm-hmm. and it's been like, hey, uh, tell them this, tell them this, and giving them a whole list of credits. And uh, the, like, the sarcastic British MC could go on, and it's happened before, going, uh, so uh, this guy's asked me to tell you that he's been on the David Letterman program, so uh, let's see what he's like. like that's, that's a little, see, I feel like that's a little arrogant, because oh, that's the way we do it over here. Maybe you could explain to that comic, we don't do that over here, and then they'll go, oh, I don't want to pee, seem like a jerk. Yes, exactly. So I'm not going to do so Which is what I've always told. Rather right. opposed to like, ooh, I got a chance to make this guy yeah. look like more arrogant than he actually is. Oh, for sure. It's like when you guys come over here and, and stiff our waitresses and bartenders. <laughs> Sometimes they have to go, hey, you have to throw her something. And then yep. they go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And, but it is a little weird. I think I do prefer the... I think the credits thing is good if you're just playing to unknowns. But it, it doesn't. I think it just bounces off people's ears. I don't. Yeah, think they... I go through phases in America of asking for stuff or not. Like some, because sometimes I'll kind of when someone says, "How do you want to be introduced?" I go, "Ah, whatever. Just bring me up." And then I notice that it takes me another like an extra beat to establish myself with the audience. Really? I think so. Yeah. I think maybe it's just maybe it's my misperception of it, but I kind of feel if I don't if three people in a row have been introduced with credits and then I don't ask for credits. I go on stage and the audience. Yeah, is all- that, see, that's the problem, I guess. If there were three in a row and then suddenly, oh, this guy hasn't done anything. Yeah, but I don't know if people process. This it guy's been on Letterman. This guy's been on Tonight Show. This guy's Matt. Yeah. Um, but then after, if you do better than all those people, then they go, "Hey, that dude with no credits." Yeah. I think no credits is the way to go. There aren't really a lot of stand-up TV shows in London, right? Oh no, there's a lot now. Are there? So what? I, the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> exactly. A lot opposite. of uh, a lot of stand-up. No, it's going silly right now. That stand-ups in a weird boom state in the UK right now. It's been that way for a while, though. It's been it? that way for a while. But what's really happening now? When I started, there were a lot of just a lot of gigs, a lot of good weekend clubs where people could get work. Like, I was making a living pretty quickly off of just stand-up, mm-hmm. just because there was enough work that if you get to the point where you've got a decent twenty minutes of material, someone will pay you for it. Uh, with no TV credits. Yeah. But that's what's starting to happen now is there's like an upper league of people with TV who are pulling away from the circuit. Like, a crazy level. I can think of about 10 people who are selling out arenas. Arenas? Arenas. Um, and that's all from the various TV shows, both panel shows and stand-up shows. Who are some of, like, there's McIntyre. Right? Michael McIntyre is He's probably, huge, right? 
ludicrously big, and no one in America knows who he is. Yeah, I do because I'm an international act. Right. And I get to know people <laughs> from all over the world because my comedy is so transcendent. Yeah, but for the less transcendent people. Uh, <laughs> now, McIntyre's, McIntyre's ridiculously big in Britain. Like, um, he, The O2 Arena, for example, which... Louis just did that. Louis just did that. Um, Arcade Fire did two nights there. McIntyre did ten. <laughs> it just gives you an idea of the kind of scale that we're talking about. He's he's huge. Um, uh, but there's even like uh, you know the big acts who've been selling out arenas for years, like Eddie Izzard and Lee Evans. Uh, yeah, I did a show with Lee Evans once where I emceed at Caroline's. I'm sure I've told this story on another podcast for you completists. And. The reaction he got, like, after I, I came back on stage, after he was on, like, this, the place was still shaking. Like, oh, he like just, good reaction. Yeah, like, he destroyed, like, it was one of those things where, like, really? I've That's never destroyed like that in my life, where you could just feel like, all right, we have to, have to everyone take a deep breath now from that guy's killing. Wow. We have another act to come up. Oh, that's nice yeah. to know, because he hasn't, he's never really translated that well to America for the most part. Like, him and, there was a point where in Britain, Lee Evans and Eddie Izzard were the two big arena acts sort of neck and neck, uh-huh. and then Eddie is, Eddie has huge success in America, and all the people who love comedy sort of know about him. So he and still plays arenas. Lee Evans will still, yeah, he'll do like an arena tour once every two or three years, and then put out a DVD at Christmas that sells bigger than a lot of feature films. I did, I don't know that ever. I know it's probably not going to happen where I become an arena act, but it, it would seem like pretty not enjoyable. I think that's why Steve Martin quit. I think so. Yeah, it's well, like arena's not even a good place to see a, a hockey match, if that's what you call it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've. I've never seen stand-up in an arena, and I've certainly never performed stand-up in an arena, so I can't tell, but it, they seem to lack intimacy on an extreme level. Like, <laughs> yes. I've been to the O2 to watch bands, and even that sort of... You need to be a pretty big band but to fill that But it must be hard place. to just say, now nah, I can fill the O2 ten times, but I'll do this beautiful theater ten well, times instead, I think or now, 30 times. Yeah, and I think now in the UK it's become like a status thing. Like I think doing Carnegie Hall in New York... Mm-hmm. Like if you're of a certain level where you can sell it, even though there are nicer theaters that are of a similar size, there's not a lot of nicer theaters at Carnegie Hall. Are they not? I've done it a couple times. Opening, right? It it kind of it lives up to the hype. Okay. Hey, it's Todd Barry. We're back with the second part of this interview. We usually don't do two parts, but full disclosure, uh, we lost a big chunk of material. Somehow it didn't record. There was some error message that I thought I fixed. And then we talked for a while, and then uh, we're just going to get back into talking. But I felt weird not letting you know about the technical difficulty. There was there was a mini debate about yeah. There was the ethics of like, do we tell them that a whole chunk of material was not erased or was not recorded? I prefer that what we're doing now, which is ten times more awkward than, <laughs> than if we hadn't do it. So let's get back into it. We're talking about Carnegie Hall. We oh, yeah. are. Is that your goal to play theaters or to be a? My my goal is just is to be a, is to just be able to tour doing stand up and having my audience come to me. Do you, do you do how how famous are you? Like how are you? Like I'm huge here in the states. What are you like in in London? In London, I get more. I think I get more audience out now in America than I do in London because in the UK, I haven't done much TV recently. The only thing I've done is this one not particularly good clip show that I taped four years ago and keeps getting repeated. But apart from that, everything I've done on TV has been over here for the last few years. So why don't you go back and do some of those stand-up shows you were talking about? 
because uh, I seem to have... Because I've been over here for too long, so I've fallen off a lot of those guys' radars. Uh, so you're hated down. You're hated. Yeah, I'm. I'm, lo I'm universally loathed. In you're Britain. loathed in the UK. I'm here out of necessity. I'm. I'm on the run. But uh, I like it in America as well. I find it more fun getting in America. You like doing because um, our clubs, and we were talking about this earlier. We have like a headliner system here for our club for a lot of the touring comedy yes. clubs. Um, and that doesn't really happen in Britain. People of a similar level would tour small theatres. Like, someone who would do a 300-seat theatre in Britain, in America, would be playing a comedy club, but on a better deal than I'm on. Okay. So that... And I quite like that system. I like doing the run of five shows. Oh, um, the five shows? Really? Yeah. I find, when I do a comedy club, sometimes... by the time Saturday night comes along... And this is... Uh, the sirens have nothing to do with anything that I have in my apartment. Not even me. Yeah, it's not Matt. It's not immigration. It's not my my weapons. I have no weapons. I got nothing here. It's New York. We hear sirens. Um. But by the time you by the time you get Saturday, you're. you're I done? get a little like God. I don't. I'm tired of myself. I mean, I do a good job. I think. I have fun when I'm on stage, but I am... I become less excited. I get that, but I find... I've done tours before where it's been a theatre in a different city every night, and you kind of look at this itinerary and you go, I'm going to write... I'm going to create so much material, I'm doing lovely theatres, it's going to be great. I've got, like, five hours travelling, and you just don't. You just sit on a, a tour bus or on a plane, and you just, your brain just switches off. I find that anyway. Oh, so you like being settled in one city? I like being in, I like being in a place for a few days where you wander around and you go out drinking with the locals and you do something stupid and that becomes a story that you tell on stage. Yeah, that, there is an advantage to that because sometimes when you're doing one night and then another night, you'll... I mean, I've arrived in cities two hours before yeah. you're on stage and you just kind of look up a restaurant which you can't enjoy because you're worried about your show. Yeah, and I constantly... I go, like I've done these tours a few times where you go in with the most high-minded I'm going to just... I'm going to be a material machine. I'm just going to be turning out joke after joke. And then I just do the crossword on the on the plane for two hours. Well, what are it. some of the better cities you've played in the U.S.? I like Denver a lot. I like Chicago a lot. Uh, I, I don't know. I think part of what I think is the better city is just where there's been a nice show. Yeah. Like, Denver has the comedy works, which is wonderful. People ask me that. I asked you that question, and I realized that's the way I would answer that question. Yeah. Is... Um, like, there's some cities that... You can never... Yeah, you never know where you're going to have a good show and where you're going to have a bad show. There's like, some cities where you're like, all right, I've done so many shows there, and it's usually good. Yeah. Like Chicago. Chicago, I've, I've always enjoyed, and Chicago is legitimately, like, almost one of the great cities. But, um, like, I, I quite like Grand Rapids, Michigan, just because, like, the comedy club there is fun, and they get a good audience, and they normally pack it out. But I wouldn't tell a non-comedy friend, oh, man, you've got to go to Grand Rapids. That's the place you in should, America. They have an airport there. You should <laughs> a, book a ticket. Isn't it? Doesn't that, that like the Gerald Ford Airport? The airport's named after yeah. There's a, Gerald, there's a Gerald Ford Museum there as well. Right. So yeah, if you're big into either Gerald Ford or performing to a nice Midwest comedy audience, then go to Grand Rapids. Otherwise, otherwise skip it. But that's what that that influences where I want to go. So you don't because you can tour for in the UK for a long time, right? Yeah, and it was a great place to start because there were loads of gigs in London and then pretty much every major city in Britain is within half a day's drive. 
with the exception of some outliers in Wales or Scotland or because like Timmy Devon. Carr he how does he he does like 200 shows a year just touring the UK right yeah and then um because you can hit because every major city but then a lot of these small towns also have just quite nice theatres and he'll play you know he'll play a thousand plus seat theatre in Manchester or whatever but then he'll go to a smaller town and play maybe a 500 600 seat theatre just as like the filler gigs in between them and make a fairly decent amount of money doing it yeah, but, it's because but they're think, all they're all a short drive away. You know, not, London's and Manchester's a four-hour really drive. Toward New York City for or New York for two hundred. I mean, you could do a lot of shows at the same place over and over again. <laughs> no, but you can do like New England. Yeah. And so touring the UK is a bit like going from, say, New York to Boston to somewhere in Ma- New Hampshire to somewhere in Maine. Yeah, but even if you hit all the major and secondary markets. Yeah. In New York and New England, that would maybe a month. Yeah, it's a very condensed. Like Britain's a condensed country. I'm saying I should move to London. You should. We've got we've got sixty, seventy million people crammed into a area smaller than most American states. Yeah, Pete's Express in London. Did we go? To, we went to Pete's. Express. We did go to a Pete's Express. Now, Pete's Express. How would you describe that? It's sort of a chain. It's a chain that is slight is nicer than a crappy pizza place, but not quite as good as a top Italian restaurant. Yeah, but it's it's a decent, and I always always want to go there in the United Kingdom. You found a safe thing that you like because they have this pizza, the American Hot, which has um, pepperoni and then hot peppers on it, right? And it has America in it. So, so that's really what makes. So it's both comforting, tasty, and patriotic. And I could yeah close my eyes and go, oh, I'm in America. <laughs> I'm not all in London. Do you mostly chase up? Patriotic foods when you're traveling? No, I, I try to I try to keep it local. Um, no, I don't go. I need an American breakfast. Right. Where's your American? Do you have an American menu? No, I'm, I'm like Anthony Bourdain, kind of really experimental. <laughs> but it's so pricey. I remember getting my Pizza Express bill because of the exchange rate, and you're like, well, I just enjoyed that pizza. It was uh, thirty-five dollars because I had a little glass of. Savignon Blanc with it. You're really traveling style. I like, yeah, Pizza Express also gives you a wine choice for small or large, which I like. Right. Most British pubs do that and, and restaurants. And they have the line on the wine glass. Yes. I don't know if, the, if uh, Pizza Express does, but I know that you guys... Well, they have to serve it in specific measures. That's one of the rules. So the ones, the fancier places don't have the line marked on the glass, but they'll measure it out in a little measure of first. Because they, they want it to look like a measuring cup. Yes. <laughs> it does. And it does do a great job keeping the people in the UK from so drinking much. too much. Yes. <laughs> like everything in the UK, the, the drinking rules... The pubs close at 11. Some of them don't now because they did relax the rules. But the reason for that is so that munitions workers during the First World War wouldn't be drunk in the morning. And that law's persisted for a So that's why you can't get a drink at 11.20? That is why you can't get a drink at 11.20, just in case you have to fight the Kaiser. I'm going to pretend I know what that meant, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's also hard to find food in London. After a certain time. I remember walking home last time I was there and I stumbled upon a McDonald's that was like, this is what you can buy, what we have left. We're not cooking any new food. You know, like, um, give me something. Just (laughs) Just what have you got? I won't even say no pickles like I usually do. 
Just you'll, hand me food. You're just so... Re- it's like being on a desert island and, and something washes ashore. See, you can... In, in London, you can always get food late at night and you can always find a drink late at night, but you have to know places. And that's what's ridiculous, is you have to... Like, if you live there for a while, like, I, I know where to go, but you have to... You have to know somewhere you have or those know someone clubs, who knows. Though, right? There are some of those as well, yeah. Like Groucho's? The Groucho. Uh, oh, is it the Groucho? Phoenix, yeah. And the, yeah, there's a. Those are fun, a, and they, they're not so hoity toity as they sound. No, some of them are some of them more, more fancy than others, but yeah, you have to be a member of them to join. Soho House is another one, which yeah, there's one of here, here, yeah. We, we know about Soho House here. Um, but it's. They're places that you can always get a drink of. After closing time, but then you have to be a member or know someone who's a member or be good at talking your way into those places. Does this kind of humor? I don't do a lot of talking about. Like, I notice comics go over to London. Does going you guys do things differently here? Does that kind of humor fly? That flies everywhere. It does, you know, right? Yeah, it's the same same as when you go into any different town. Because I've seen you know you guys in Charlotte are crazy. Seen comics. You do the same thing again. that I said about the previous right. town I was in, but but there's always like. You've seen a lot of comics, I'm sure, go, oh, you guys don't carry guns here. Like, when I see a comic do that, I go, I feel like they've heard that. Maybe you don't want to bring that up. They have, but then, if you've got either an... Firstly, if you've got an original spin on it, but also, you'd be no, amazed. No, I, I do not. <laughs> you'd be amazed. But how few people have been to comedy before, or been to comedy a lot before? That's the same as any kind of hacked material. You go, how are these people still laughing at that joke? Well, because... You've seen it a thousand times, but they haven't. Right. That's true. And you assume they're all... Com- yeah, they're not immersed in comedy 24-7. Yeah, like most people are like just going up. Like just- I am. Do, would you say an American has an advantage going over there or not? I'd say an American... Americans have a slight disadvantage in that there's people prejudice. America, yeah. yeah, there's that pre- innate prejudice against America, which means... Every American comic who plays in the UK has to do one of two things generally. They either they either open their set by distancing themselves from the concept of America, or they barrel through it in a kind of like, no, fuck you, this is who I am, I'm going to do this. That's kind of, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but anytime I go over to London, I just, it's always bothered me when comedians like take a stab. Like, like if you have a legitimate bit about America, sure. <laughs> But yeah. when they're when you're doing when you're just pandering, where you're just like, oh, I think you guys hate me because I'm American, so I'm going to take a stab at America. And then, so now we're friends, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not like a bad American. Like I feel like no, I am an American, and uh, but I'm a great, great man. <laughs> and I hope you enjoy my comedy. And uh, if you come over, I remember I did a show in Brighton, and this woman, I don't remember what I was talking about. And she's like, you know, we have running water over here. I was like, and I kind of I don't remember how I destroyed her, but I did destroy her. And right. I think I just pointed out well. If you come to the States, people will be nicer than you're being to me now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm aware you have running water. I have myself I made, a, made yeah, use of I've that. I've taken several of your quaint little showers <laughs> where you put the water in the ladle, and now I'm just making that up. <laughs> but, but as an American going to the UK, you also have the advantage of being the outsider, which you always have, whether you're American, Australian, or Canadian, or wherever. Yeah, there's this, there is always part of me that's more nervous about performing in another country. But I like that. I like I like being a Brit performing in America because again, every like I don't I don't I don't like I don't think I pander. I probably do to an extent. Everyone does to an extent. But I, I uh, most people pander to an extent. <laughs> but uh, but it's 
when you are when I am making observations about America, I think they have extra weight because I'm the outsider. Because like, how's he noticed this stuff about us? Mm-hmm. Do you? Um, God, I was just going to say something about all that. Shit. We were just talking about performing in America. Fuck. Fuck. Ladles. Ladles, your showers. I forgot Brighton. what I was going to say. This whole podcast is just it's crumbling. <laughs> the empire is crumbling. It's the second. Do you, um... What? No. Fuck. I'm going to remember this. We can edit out this dead air here. Okay. We were talking about how... The cops and the da 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 and the release. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Yeah, I know what I was going to say. I think going over to this from the states to the UK or a lot of countries, because I'm from New York City, I get a little pass. Right. They. I don't think they because they're there's people are sort of enamored. There's an allure to New York City. And so I, if you go out from New York City, ooh, right. If they've been there, they almost. You know, I've never met anyone who doesn't have a good time here. And I think there is also, as much as Brits sneer a bit at America and Americans in general, there is also a bit that a bit of Brits that are envious and and look up to America. Like, thank we, you. But we're, you know, we're immersed in American culture. We watch a hell of a lot of American TV and movies. So there is a certain amount that if you just go on and just, yeah, this is I'm from the the place where all your entertainment comes from. Sex and the city, right? You've watched on TV. I live it day after day after day. It's nonstop. almost relentless. It's, it's just me sitting near women having a conversation <laughs> about blowjobs while sipping iced tea. <laughs> I've only watched a few episodes of Sex and the City. That's, that's most of them. Including the one I was on. Now, let's get to this controversy. Yeah, we were embroiled, if that's the right word, in a little controversy. Well, I was... I, I, is it the onion thing? <laughs> yes. What other kind? Of, is there another one? Oh, that was, you know, my... Let's not talk about it. But, uh, no, the onion... I somehow got... Here's what happened. That I think we remember the onion wrote that joke. They tweeted. It wasn't even in the main paper. Yeah. They tweeted a joke uh, during the Oscars. Right. About the little girl from Beasts of the Southern Wild. Right. Is that the name of the movie? I think it was. That is the name of the movie. Right. Um, and people got offended by the joke. And then I wrote... I just wrote a little Tumblr blog post that I thought would be seen by not many people. Oh, famous last words. I just wrote a little Tumblr blog post. Yeah. That was, a, was that Napoleon's last words as well? <laughs> I think it was. He's a WordPress guy, Napoleon. Right. Um, and then it went very, very viral. Uh, your, so got your angle was basically, here's what's going on with that joke. I, my angle was just the explaining the mechanism by which the joke worked. Uh, it's interesting that we're, we're both afraid to say the joke out loud. Right. Uh... But the joke, um, my the the thing I the thing I wrote started with telling, talking about the joke that we've all done many times of, or we personally I have and a lot of comics have done yeah. where 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 the nice guy in the group leaves the party or leaves the car and you just turn around and go what a cunt, and it's a uh, and in the states would probably say asshole right, uh, definitely go cunt in Britain. But, uh, and it works because he's so clearly not an asshole. Right. So, that, so my, my whole point in the article was just saying the only reason why this joke works is that she is the exact antithesis of that concept. Right. Um, but I think, and you know, when I, when that joke, when that controversy happened, not just your specific angle. Yeah. I was like, 
okay, I get why people are upset. But I also get... I do get the joke. Right. And they weren't literally calling this little girl a horrible name. Yeah, and, and I, I totally get why people were didn't like the joke either. And I think, I, I think anyone is entirely legitimately able to be offended by anything, uh, anything they so choose. And no one, no, as much as I have the right to defend anything that someone accuses of being offensive, someone else I, is entirely right, entirely justified in being offended by it. But, um... That was my that was my point. Uh, Dave Anthony, I think, made it another very valid point about the satire inherent in the joke, because it was said in the context of the Oscars, where the, the Oscars is like the pinnacle of snarking at celebrities, and it's full of people just thinking, "What's she wearing?" Applying right, so they're saying he's applying saying, attributes to someone that they've never met in their life. Oh, look at this guy; he's a bit snooty. This woman's oh, she's such a stuck-up bitch. And the onion joke put that on the most innocent and the most blameless person. Right, where no one is safe from yeah, so the it was, shallowness and shittiness. Right. Uh, so so then I just got a, I got a lot of comments, a lot of tweets, some uh, quite a lot backing me up and supporting me and my my article. Some backing me up in a way that I wish they hadn't. Like, you, you had that where, where someone, you say something and someone's like, yeah, totally, because this. And you're like, oh, that's not, no, no, I'm not, you don't, that's not me. I don't know if I've had that, but I've had situations where you meet a fan of yours and you go, hmm, I don't know if I, that makes me feel good that that person. I was at a show once. I was at an Amy Mann concert. Right. And there were these just assholes talking at the bar and she she's some of her stuff is quiet yeah and in any case you shouldn't be talking during any show yeah and these guys are just uh, just jerks and just uh, well everyone else is being nice and then i walk by and look hey todd barry i'm like oh good yep <laughs> oh good i'm so happy that They're in the your people family. i've been seething with <laughs> just the whole night now, did that make you suddenly feel bad about your thought of wanting them to sh shut up for a second did it or did or did it reinforce your desire to make them shut up it didn't um it didn't make me go hey you know man it's all right it's all right if they talk during a show i didn't it didn't yeah. make me like them it just made it was just uh, it was just one of those reality checks yeah but uh, i know most of my fans are great especially if people <laughs> listen now um but yeah, and then and then there were critics. There were criticisms that I got from the article, both in comments and tweets, and some some I think legitimate, or some like yeah, I get the point. Some are utter bullshit. Like a a lot of people made the point that the example I gave of the person leaving the party is not the same as the tweet. But I wasn't using that as an exact analogy. I was using that to explain the mechanism by which the joke works. Yeah. Because there were people who honestly didn't even get the switch. Didn't people were still going? Well, yeah, but. Uh, no, I, I still don't think they're justified in calling her a cunt. I'm like, no, they're not calling her. They are exactly not doing that. Like, like that's why I put that first paragraph in. Um, I think that people were upset. I mean, it's obvious that a real little girl was dragged into their joke. Right. And I, I get that. And, um, and also, I think some people made the valid point that um, the, that word has extra power in America compared to the UK. It's much more gendered. It's... It carries with it a lot more. Maybe they meant to post that on Twitter UK, right? <laughs> where everyone would be like, "Yeah, it's nothing." Else. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. She is. And then there were people I saw. I did read. It was because it was retweeted on like Huffington Post. Re yes, reblogged it. If that's the, I don't know what they call it. But there, I noticed that there was the contingent of people who were like, uh, 
Well, if you have to explain the joke. I hate that. I hate that. If you have to explain... The, like, so many people, well, it can't be that good a joke if you had to explain it. You could... Firstly, you could say that about any joke in the world. Like, right. you could You could take the most perfect Richard Pryor routine mm -hmm. and then go, I don't really get it. And then have someone explain to you why it's great and then go, well, if you have to explain it, then it can't be good. Yeah, it just shuts like, it down like, like, in, in a way that seems like, hey, I'm really clever. Yeah, because I noticed one guy was like, number one rule in comedy, if you have to explain the joke. <laughs> so, I didn't know they were, where are these rules at? I wanted to write and go, can you tell me the two and three rules? <laughs> just, just so I don't... I'm trying to learn. <laughs> I'm uh, sure you're a very successful person in the comedy industry. Right. Laying out the number one rule in comedy. Yeah. You made me explain the joke by refusing to get it and then had the audacity to say, well, if you have to explain... Well, no. I, I ended up having to explain it. I decided to explain it because of what you did. I, I was reacting to you, not to the joke. Um, or you could say it just it doesn't have to be explained to everyone. Right. Yeah, most people didn't have to... Have I mean, it. you can get it and be offended by it. I get that. But yeah. it's not like... You could, you could do that about Shakespeare play or right. Shakespeare sonic. Well, if you, have to, if you have to explain it, it can't be that poetic. Yeah. <laughs> can't... Well, no, it's... Uh, See, I should be like, oh, so you're comparing your tweet to a, a Shakespeare? Yeah. Or someone else's tweet. But, oh, uh, so you think you're Shakespeare now? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there were a lot of people, will, I think, willfully misunderstanding it. And will. Well, I think it's, it's probably a joke where it's like one of those private jokes when you're sitting around with your friends only make public. Right. And like, like if you were watching the Oscars and your best friend made that joke, you probably would go, hey, you, no, that's yeah. not right. You would know why they did it. Cause so it, when you bring that kind of... And, and again, like intimate humor. When people public. say, "Yeah," when people say that oh, the Onion shouldn't have tweeted that, I think now, yeah, they probably shouldn't have done with hindsight if they knew what the hell was going to happen, because the because the controversy so outweighed the humor. And like I thought, it, I thought it was a decent joke, and I thought it had a, I thought it had satirical weight, and I thought it worked as just as a one-two gut punch of a joke. Yeah, it was, it was but, kind of a gut punch. Yeah, it was good. But uh, it went so big that that outweighed the humor in the joke. And yeah, that sort of killed it. And but I'm sure they would rather they hadn't done that. But, um, but I thought it was a fine joke. I thought that was, and that's why I wrote that piece. And I, and more to the point, I thought the reaction to it was so out of whack and so stirred up. And also, and this was another point that I made in my article, that reaction has given far more exposure to the joke than the joke ever would have done. Like, it would have been a single tweet that just vanished into the ether. Right. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no, that doesn't exist. I mean, a lot of people would have seen it because a lot of people followed The Onion, but it would have been just one joke. Huh, also, okay. did they ever reveal who wrote it? Because, you know. No, they never did. It could have been a woman, could have been a man. You really don't know. It could have been, yeah. It could have been the girl herself. It could have been, it could have been one of their junior five-year-old writers. Right. Who wrote it. Um... Well, I think the best way to end this podcast is with something that's going to get you hate mail. So I'm glad we talked about that. Let's do that. <laughs> let's, now you have your own podcast. We should plug that. Um, yeah, thanks. It's um, it's called uh, Probably Science, and it's me and a few other comics with a vague science background. I did a math degree, uh -huh. uh, which I've mostly forgotten, and then uh, and we go through the week in science news with guest comedians. So, so you, what was your intention with that math degree? It wasn't. I just, I was interested in it. I liked the subject. I was good at it when I was at school and stopped being good at it once I got to university and it got a lot more difficult. 
But um, waitresses, you hear that? He's a math major. Twenty <laughs> percent, real easy for him to do in his head. Yeah, I always tip well. Do you tip well because British people don't tip well here? I think I tip well just because I've been in the country for long enough to know that that's a partly because that's the thing I think you should do anyway, and then partly there is a little bit of me that is overcompensating because I know that when I get into a taxi or... because you're Jewish, huh? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, a, as an English Jew in America, people are going like... Although most... I don't think most Americans realize I'm Jewish. I think they see me as English first and then fail to realize there's other stuff going on. Yeah, that's, that's already too much for them to take in. Yeah. They, they can put me in one stereotype. They can't sort of add the other one. Do uh, English people... I still don't know whether it's English or British. doesn't matter, right? It's, um... English is a subset of British. So I was born in England, which is part of Britain. Which, wow. in turn, is part of the United Kingdom. All right. We'll cut out this part that makes me look dumb. Now, <laughs> so you're British. So I'm British. Do, do you guys mock our, uh, our tipping thing? No, I think, they, I think a lot of us aren't even aware of it, except for... They ju- it's just a thing that British people get flustered about when they go to America. It is weird, because they'll, they'll come over here sometimes, and, and I understand it's just a completely different mindset. It'd I be s- like if we went over there and you said, oh, we, you, we tip at uh, McDonald's here. Like you would, right. And you'd be like, what? Like it would, might take you something to get you. But at the same time, I mean, I've been around like really smart. There are still times. don't even get it. Like, it's like, you must have at least read about this. There are still times that I don't know. Like, there will still be occasions where I encounter something, and I'm like, I don't know whether I... I know. Like, like you get it. Di- like, say, if you're in a hotel and the concierge gives you directions to a restaurant, do you tip him? Do you- $1,000. Okay. No, I think for a concierge, if you go, yeah, is there a good Chinese restaurant? They go, yeah, there's one on 19th Street. Yeah. Um, I, you don't have to tip. But if they're like, I got you tickets to, like, Todd Berry Show... And it's been sold out for months. <laughs> you know, something where they go beyond. Right, above and beyond the call of duty. When in doubt, I always say, stay away from the concierge. Because <laughs> there is that. Yeah, because sometimes, hotels, it's the worst. Because, like, they, they, you pull up and you have, like, one little bag. And, like, eight guys jump on it. And you're like, I got it. Yeah. Oh, I, I I've been, like, I'm, I'm not new to traveling. Yeah, I don't want, I mean, I don't. I successfully put this bag in the overhead locker in my But if they bring your, their bags up or whatever, if you're bringing your all your t-shirts and merchandise that you sell on the road. Right. And they'll help you up with the... Uh, My many, many t-shirts. Yeah. Then you should tip them. Then you should tip our waitress. I don't know why we're getting into this. <laughs> you're, you've already established that you do this. But it's always weird in, in London because I've had people... Uh, I'll always go, should I tip this, at this bar? Do I tip? And I remember asking, actually, yeah, I was asking someone. And at someone they go, it would actually be weird. It'd be kind of a weird thing I at think, this particular bar if you tip. Really, I I think. See, but then I then you'll see a tip cup, and it's like. Yeah, I think in a pub, what I normally do in a pub in Britain is I'll round up. Like if the round if the round comes to nine ten, then I'll give a tenner and walk away or something yeah. like that. But um, but it's but you wouldn't do like a a pound of drink or anything like that. Yeah, I do. I always still end up tipping. But yeah. also, it's so unexpected in British pubs that if you do tip, they're they're like oh. And it's nice. Like it's yeah, not, they are. They, it's, it's sometimes I've done it where they, they, it looks like you just gave them a Christmas present, and they're so delighted. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, that was worth it just to, just for the appreciation." Yeah, particularly when there's not one of those needs when it's not like a crowded bar, and you're like, "Yeah, you got to come to me first When it's just a, "Oh, thank you for the drink. Have an extra pound." Yeah, I tip like fifty pounds a drink. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's why you don't come to the UK that often. Uh, really, it's quite expensive. It is. Uh, 
Matt, so you have your podcast called Possibly Science? Probably. Probably Science. Probably Science. And you can get that on iTunes? You can indeed, or probablyscience.com. Oh my God, a website. Yeah. And you're on Twitter, Matt Kirshen, M-A-T-T-K-I-R-S-H-E-N. If you'll get the spelling wrong, whatever, but if you Google anything close to my name, it's a weird enough name that'll suggest me. And you have a CD? Yes, I do. It's on iTunes as well, and on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, called uh, I Guess We'll Never Know. That's my CD. That's a good title. Thank you. Uh, I guess that's it. Thanks. Uh, let me think if there's anything else. I'm not even looking at a list right now. It sounds like no. I'm looking at a list. <laughs> no, you're uh, just looking at the wall. Thanks for coming here, Matt. Thank you, Todd. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Chat. Not really an interview. A chat with Matt Kirshen from the United Kingdom, the UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Todd Barry, toddberry.com. I have some upcoming shows, July 10th through 13th in New York City at Caroline's. Use promo code Todd B to save $10 on Wednesday and Thursday. July, I think 21st through 28th, I'll be in Montreal at the Just for Laughs Festival. And very soon I'll be announcing some new dates, but those are the ones I have now. Come listen to my show next week. I don't know why I say come listen to my show. Because I'm not inviting you anywhere, specifically location-wise. Also, there's feralaudio.com who presents this and lots of other podcasts. Feralaudio.com. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub. Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.